Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and today's interview is pretty interesting. I think you're going to really enjoy Robert Shirky. He's a lawyer who has become quite the environmentalist. He wants us to think about global issues. He wants us to act municipally. He wants to talk about uh, incrementalism and about incentivizing people to change, and he talks about markets today being complacent, and, and he talks very specifically about getting warning labels 
on gas pumps. I think you're going to enjoy Robert. Make sure you take the time to listen in. Don't forget to uh, purchase my hot and best-selling book, uh, Real Change. It's on Amazon.ca. Uh, Sign up for the MindMarket.com. Check it out. I write a, a bi-weekly uh, column there, as do many others. And I'm also blogging pretty regularly on Taking It Global. So I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Robert Shirky, and we'll see you soon. So welcome to Face to Face. It's a, a beautiful uh, sunny day here in uh, Oakville, I guess. Robert Shirky is our guest today. Thanks for joining us, Robert. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's, it's a pleasure uh, to be here. kind of an ugly snowstorm yesterday. <laughs> that's uh, kind of interesting that we're going to be talking about the environment. So, yeah. You know, mother slash father nature threw a curveball at us. That she or he did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Robert is um, the executive director of Our Horizon, and I love their tagline. It's, uh, quote, think global, act municipal. It's kind of a uh, taking that glocal uh, phrase and turning it. Is that glue municipal? Is that, would that be the word? That would be a first, but I think you're right. <laughs> I think it would be gloomin or glue municipal. Glue municipal I'm or not, I'm not well, sure. Do you know what? What I love about this show face-to-face is we're breaking ground all the time. Yes. So. We just invented a new word. A new word. <laughs> it's awesome. I had a professor years ago at the University of Guelph who basically said you need to invent a new word at least once or twice a month. Okay. I think that's actually not bad advice. We can cross that off the to-do yeah, list. We're we've done. Already we're done. Set. We're done. Robert, Robert's a lawyer. Uh, he he uh, He's founded Our Horizon. We're going to talk about climate. We're going to talk about environment. But he's also, he's also a... Uh, public speaker. I, I think I, I think it's fair to say you're a change maker. In fact, uh, Robert and I met at the Global Change Initiative 2014? Uh, Earlier this yes. year. Yeah. Earlier this year. So this is a great event you want to keep your eye out for, the Global Change Initiative. Hopefully mm-hmm. it's going to be happening again in 2015. He's on TEDx. He gives talks. And we're going to talk about uh, gloom municipality <laughs> or gloom municipalism. There you go. So, so, um, Climate's a big thing. Environment's mm-hmm. a big thing. What exactly is our horizon doing to change the way I think about it? Yeah. So I think uh, given given the nature of climate change, it tends to be one of these issues that uh, we're less active on. So for a lot of us, it's, it's kind of abstract. It's not something we think about day to day in the way that we might think of other issues that are then more, say, media worthy and, and, and in our mind space. Um, there's also sort of this temporal aspect to it where the, the you know, we burn fossil fuels today, the consequences of which, though we're experiencing some now, largely won't be felt uh, until the future. Um, and of course, by the time we reach that point, well, uh-oh, it's, it's a bit too late, right? Um, so, so what I'm trying to do anyway through this simple tool, uh, and starting to get a traction now uh, in different uh, cities in Canada and in the United States as well, there's a nice announcement from the city of Berkeley uh, where just yesterday they effectively passed it into law. There's one tiny, tiny hoop that they have to go through, but it's basically been done now. Um, so the idea is simple. Uh, we all gas up maybe once a week, um, and it's it's sort of, it's, it's habitual. It's this innocuous act. It's something that we do in an unquestioning way. Uh, and my sort of thinking is if on the demand side, if markets are complacent, if communities of people just do this week after week, then of course we'll have um, you know pipelines, and of course we'll have oil sands. Of course we'll all have this infrastructure uh, upstream. If downstream we're just doing this habitually. So what I'm trying to do to sort of shake us out of our sense of complacency and and help us connect the dots between our consumption of fossil fuels and climate change uh, is put climate change call them warning labels or information labels 
right on gas pump nozzles where often right now uh, you'll see little advertisements say on a, on a three inch by three inch square right on the nozzle. Uh, and the thinking is if you can use that space um, to help individuals make that connection, uh, that's then a way of creating a little bit of dissatisfaction collectively with the status quo, uh, and that then creates more impetus. It's a nice actually... way to put it. Um, John Berger, mm. in the Ways of Seeing, said that the purpose of publicity is to create a marginal sense of dissatisfaction in yeah. the spectator, and that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Uh, you're saying, hey, maybe there's an incremental way here, a mm -hmm. very simple way of getting somebody to question something just a little bit more. That's exactly yeah, go it. Go a little bit below the surface. You know, and if we, and there's a story I like to tell of, of my mom, uh, she's sort of become my guinea pig on this project now. Nice. I will, um, this was a while ago, I was showing up for breakfast every morning, uh, trying to catch her on a morning when her gas gauge was close to empty. Right. And so finally, you know, I catch her at breakfast, her gas gauge is close to empty, and I say, hey, Ma, let's hang out again later tonight. Can I come over for dinner? And here she is thinking, you know, I'm, I'm the sweet son that wants to spend time with her. Really, there's this ulterior motive, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is, so I then came back, uh, I checked, and the gauge is close to full. So I knew during her day, she went to a gas station to gas up. I asked her during dinner, um, so, you know, how was your day? Where all did, did you go today? And she says... Um, well, I, it was fine. I went to work. I got groceries and, and then I came home and I asked her a few times and even specific Can you think of any other side trips anything small? Did you stop anywhere else? No, I went to work. I got groceries. I came home Finally, I asked by chance. Did you stop at a gas station and she thinks for a second pauses? Oh, yeah, I gassed up of course, you know, so I think where we're at in large part now is just on on sort of downstream It's habit. It's inertia. It's uh, if you can create this sense of dissatisfaction with the status quo solution, if in that point you have someone who's gassing up uh, where this non-event now becomes a thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then all of a sudden, so if you're doing that, if I'm doing it, if your neighbor's doing it and so on, I think you can sort of create the social environment in a community where we're now that much more open to change. So is, it, is the label about just uh, reminding me that this is gonna have an impact? Is it, is it asking me to donate money? Is it sending me to your website? What, what, mm -hmm. what, is there a call to action of any kind? Or is it just, hey, don't forget what you're doing here? Yeah, so I like to, so we've got some, some mock-ups. Uh, and so one example might be, I kind of model them after the tobacco labels. Right, uh, right. So you can have an image um, of, let's say it's a species that might face extinction care right, of climate change. Right. Maybe it's Which, fish. listen, I think it's incredibly <laughs> important. But sure. that just strikes me as pretty funny. That here I am pumping my gas on a cold winter's day, and I'm looking at a species that maybe isn't that. It's pretty cool, yeah. honestly. I mean, it's got this little bit of this lefty tree huggish thing yeah. that people are going to critique you for. Of course, right? They're going to go, "Oh, come on, yeah. really? I'm pumping gas, yeah. right?" But I listen. I think it's brilliant to model it after the after the cigarette labels. I think that's exactly what it sounds to me like you're trying to do. That's exactly so it. Big, big warning here. You know, we got to wake up and. Whether you, you know, you know what mm. annoys me, and mm. I, I, I can't say I'm an environmentalist, mm -hmm. capital E, in the sense of I'm out advocating because, mm. you know, I'm busy in the international development, here's what I do, et cetera. But to say, you know, I'm, I'm very sensitive to it. And mm. so, so I'm, but, but you, you, you can't, I don't know how anybody can say it's not having an impact of, of some kind yeah. if you don't recycle or if yeah. you continue to, or if you drive the gas guzzler, you know, you keep emitting this into this closed system. Now what? Yeah. How can it not be affecting us in some way? So to completely set, turn 
you know, your head and walk away, it's just insane to me. Like, I don't, I don't get that at all. Whether you're a free market, obscene capitalist to, to, to the, the nth degree or just an insensitive Marxist, yeah. right? If you want to go polarized on, on you, the, know, you know? And one of the things that along those lines that I sometimes think of is I think we're still partly in, in almost this collective denial when it comes mm. to this issue. And this is then yeah. a way of just sort of showing us, hey, this is a cost. We're just basically asking that, you know, the producer of a product to disclose some of the risks associated with the right. consumption of the right. product. Right. Pretty reasonable ask, right? right. Um, and so the thinking is if you can sort of get people's heads out of the sand collectively. And I think, it, you know, we often, at least in Canada, discourse on climate change, uh, it does tend to be focused upstream. So people understand climate change is a problem of uh, tar sands or oil sands. It's a problem of pipelines. It's a problem of all sorts of... I think that distancing, actually, it's something to make me comfortable so I'm not complicit. Yeah, I think so but, too. I think there's a real um, um, similarity too to the work that I'm doing mm. in, in development. Like uh, one of the questions, I want to talk about empathy mm-hmm. and I want to mm. talk about this idea of what you just said. You know, it's kind of, it's not something that's affecting me today. Mm-hmm. Isn't this about empathizing with the, the, the cosmos? Yeah. Isn't this about empathizing with the environment on some level to say, like one of the questions I have is how do you get people to empathize with somebody who's not sitting right in front of them? Right. So if you're not bleeding on the kitchen table in front of me, I'm not going to offer you a Band-Aid yeah. of any kind. Maybe yeah. that's a troubling metaphor. But anyway, but I, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? No, so, I do completely. Like my, my fence in my backyard is pretty high. Yeah. I have a tough time seeing my neighbors. So frankly, I don't give a rat's ass about yeah. them. Right? Yeah. So how do, huh. we, how do we push that? And yes. maybe it's, you know, labels on gas pumps. It's warning labels on cigarettes, et cetera. And for me as a philosopher, I'm, I'm all about creating more dialogue and, and yeah. stirring it up a bit, right? So, Well, what I love, and I would encourage uh, your listeners to just Google uh, Adam Smith's Theory of Moral Sentiments and read the first page uh, of the first chapter, right, of that book. Um, and he actually is, talks about empathy. He talks about um, interconnectedness. So that's not the term that he uses. Um, and he even he even argues, at least in that book, that it is through um, sort of this this moral um, faculty that that we're able to kind of create uh, wealth and and you know for all mankind sort of a thing. And of course, I'm paraphrasing, I'm butchering yeah, sure, that quote. Sure. Yeah. But um, but it's amazing. So he writes about empathy, and I think I mean it's a muscle, right? Uh, and if if there are cues in our social environment that sort of strengthen that flex that muscle then I think we can build on that. And one of the ways, too, that I frame this is a lot of people, and I do think we need to price carbon. I think that's a no-brainer. But a lot of people go to, well, that's the tool, right? Because if your worldview is we are these selfish, self-interested, you know, wealth-maximizing automatons, that's what we are. So the language that you use then to communicate these externalities to the marketplace is it's a price signal because that's that's what I respond to because that's what I am, right? right? Right. What we're doing with this is we're essentially communicating externalities. So it could be drought and famine, extinction of species, uh, you know, what have you, in a way that uses a different language, this qualitative, you know, image and text. So what, what the price signal tries to achieve in dollars and cents in this quantitative way our idea communicates in a qualitative way using image and text. So in the same, you know, in the abstract, they're both communicating externalities to the marketplace. So they're, they're the same in the abstract. But this uses a language that I think communicates with us in a way that activates that, that empathy muscle. And I think can transition us from 
you know, not changing our behavior. We're actually, our, our response to changes in price in gasoline is fairly inelastic. So people that say, well, it's all about price is actually not, it's not. What, no, you know. it's kind of not true. I mean, somebody mm -hmm. who's addicted to cigarettes, I remember working with a guy who smoked quite heavily for years in construction. And he, mm. he taught, I mean, that was when we went from the couple of dollars a pack to like $8. Mm -hmm. There was this huge leap. And he said, listen, people need these, mm -hmm. right? So they're going to pay whatever. It's true. Charge. And I think, I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's not just that the market doesn't move just on a price point alone. Yeah. No, and so this, this qualitative way of engaging the consumer at the point of purchase, yep. I think is a, a better way actually of communicating that cost. And I think the response will then be instead of, you know, just whining about the price of gas and, oh, we're being gouged again, but not changing behavior. I think what you might then see uh, as a collective response, you might see some individual change. You might see someone nudged into, maybe I might consider public transit a bit more if it's if it's the summer, you know, and I, I go to the uh, gym to do a, a cycling class. Maybe I'll maybe I'll ride my bike to work instead, right? Right. right. But I'm more interested in this collective change where. If, if you can engage consumers in this way, communicate these externalities and you know, the harms associated with the use of this product, then I think we can transition to a place where we're saying, well, but what am I supposed to do? What are my options? And why isn't business delivering better solutions? Right. Why right. Right. fuel economy, believe it or not, hasn't changed in over 100 years? Cars on the road today uh, get the exact same mileage as the Ford Model T did in 1908 when it first wow. came off the assembly line. And so the thinking is, you know, to the extent that necessity is, is the mother invention, if you can create a little, you know, greater sense of collective necessity in a community and marketplace, then a business like GM, Ford, et cetera, that really their proposition is they're trying to create a, a mobility solution, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. They'll then say, okay, look, there's this segment in the marketplace uh, that's not satisfied, not being catered to. We want to capture that or our competitors will. So let's invest R&D dollars into bringing that, that prototype that we always bring up to shows, let's actually develop that, bring it to market. You'll also see potentially, say in a place like, like Oakville or in a place like Toronto or wherever, you know, where conversations are happening on public transit, on uh, smarter planning for communities, on bike lanes and so on, this is then sort of a stimulus, another input that can help inform that conversation. Maybe we might then collectively be a bit more open to yeah. Let's pitch in for public transit. It seems to me it's it's uh, it's adding to or or creating a more robust kind of conversation, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's another you know what it, what do people like to, uh, talking points? It's mm -hmm. it's another way of, of of keeping it in 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 the conversation in the the dialogue. I think I guess the the cynic in me says, don't we all just love the status quo? So yes, you know. I mean, even though I don't think you'd see too many people wearing those T-shirts or too proud to wear a T-shirt that said, I love the status yeah. quo, I don't know. I, you know, at the risk of going all negative on everybody, I, it's, it's comfy. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a laziness to it, I think. There is. Uh, or maybe it's just simpler that way, you know? Structure, yeah. framework, uh, this is the way I live my life, mm -hmm. I drive to work, I eat from 9 to 5, these are the things, you know. Uh, and this is, this is empathy. Right. Yeah. Because really, we're talking now about well, you don't care about the future enough to think about it today. Yeah. Right. And and I f I find that deeply troubling on a certain level. But how do you get how do you shock people out of their complacency? And that's the thing. Like we're up against some some deep programming. So when I think of when I was born, I was then driven home in this car uh, every single day. I wake up. There's a car in the driveway. I walk down the sidewalk. You know. So. Our, our transportation solution 
I, I've only ever seen one thing my whole entire life, and it's mm. hard to picture mm -hmm. something, another possibility, mm -hmm. right? It's, well, this is the way things have always been. This is the way they are. Of course, this is the way they will always be. And unless if you're challenging that, unless if you're creating some discomfort with that, it's harder to introduce an alternative if there's no space for it. If we're just complacent with the status quo, this effectively creates a little bit of dissatisfaction with the status quo, then creates more space for alternatives. And of course, I think, you know, related, but a little distinct from that, is it is it stimulating demand for alternatives? So it sure. creates space for it, but we're also now collectively more interested I do a, too. I do a ton of work in, in Cambodia uh, and uh, one of my favorite places in the world. Most of my listeners will know that already. Pretty much, uh, my title in my autobiography is going to be All Roads Lead to Phnom Penh. Okay. Uh, the heck with Rome. Um, <laughs> so... Right now, uh, they've just implemented, I was there about f five weeks ago, mm. they've re-implemented a public transit system. Well, mm. Cambodia's a very interesting place mm -hmm. in the world. I mean, the traffic's insane, um, incredible amount of, of motos, you've got your tuk-tuks, you've got bicycles, sea clothes coming out of Vietnam. So a lot of different modes of transportation. So they implement this thing about a year and a half ago called public transport, two buses in the whole city of a million and a half people. Totally fell flat. Okay. Didn't work at all. And it's incredibly cheap. It's, yeah. I don't know, 15 cents to ride this thing. It's really, really cheap. And they've re-implemented it. And apparently it's sort of starting to work. Interesting. But they don't, this idea of public transport, it's like, well, I wave somebody down and I pay them and they'll take me there. Or I remember being in Mongolia. You would put your arm out on the side of the street and a guy would pull over. And wow. you don't, not a taxi. Yeah. Just somebody on their way somewhere else. Hmm. They'd pick you up. You'd give them uh, uh, some money and mm -hmm. off they would go. Well, it just, it's interesting, right? Trying to shift the culture in Cambodia to, well, hang on, I, that, I want to stop here. Yeah. And so this idea of actually having bus stops along the way, it's, okay. it's just, it's foreign, right? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. They're shifting to a whole other kind yeah. of way of looking at it. Does, you know what I'm saying? And like, it's just, it's just an, another take on this breaking out of a framework. Yeah, yeah. And so much of our obstacles, I think is, is, yeah, it's, it's the breaking out of the framework. It's this cultural thing. It's a, like, it's not as if we don't have technologies that we can transition to. Renewables have over the last 25 years or so, if you look at the price of solar over the last 25 years, it's just dipping and dipping and dipping. And if you look at how much more efficient, how much more productive it is. It's just going higher and higher and higher. There was one report I read that suggested 2016 uh, in, in the majority of United States, the price of solar uh, is going to reach grid parity with, mm. with coal-powered uh, mm. energy, right? And that's even, you know, including all the subsidies that fossil fuels get and everything. So it's not as if we, we, we're not capable of dealing with yeah. this problem. Yeah. We are. My thinking, again, going back to your first question, so, so what's the idea here, is I see, so here we are in this place, here's the status quo, here's this place that we need to transition to because we've altered the chemistry of our planet. We're just kind of stuck on this space. And so there's some, some compelling solutions that people are delivering. And if you think of how this piece of the puzzle, what I'm advocating for, the warning label and the gas pump, how it fits into this more holistic sort of, you know, how are we gonna tackle this problem? It's making us less satisfied. So we're trying to get people less satisfied with the status quo while other people are delivering the solutions to try and get us more interested in this in this other sort of you know compelling place that we need to transition to. And I think both, well, obviously both are important, but we need to hasten that transition 
just by virtue of the simple fact that we're running out of time. Like, so I've, I've talked about this many times because uh, I think it's an interesting uh, approach, this idea, again, we're back to empathy. How do you care for others? How mm. do you care about your neighbor, et cetera, outside of your framework, outside of your mm -hmm. family, let's say. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm busy enough with my kids, my, my wife, my, my mom, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul Hawken in The Ecology of Commerce talks about a woman who's in the middle of washing the dishes, uh, maybe the phone's ringing and she's got a baby crying, and somebody knocks on the door and they're there to talk about the environment. Okay. Yeah. The last thing in the world that's yeah. on her mind. And she goes, you know what, sorry, I got no time for that, and slams the door. Uh-huh. Major paraphrase, and I'm sure I'm missing some nuances of Hawkins uh -huh. in, in his book. But I think it's a good example. Mm-hmm. So and now, now, now extrapolate that could be any number of things could mm -hmm. be, could be cancer society, could be child sponsorship, could be, uh, you know, your rotary club, you're in the middle of your own thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How do you get out of that? How the heck do we get out of that? Wow. And isn't that, that's like that's the, the question. Well, the question it really that, is exactly, for people like exactly. us yeah. who are about social change and who yeah. are trying to change the way people think and hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. the market's going to come along and how mm -hmm. does business and the nonprofit world work together? How do, mm -hmm. how do mining companies start to talk with the UNs of the world and the UNICEFs to say, maybe there is a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes, mines are going to continue. So, but let's change some of the way we think. Let's change some of the way we do this. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I, and I, and I think it's about the conversation, but I'd love mm -hmm. to hear what you think about that, that single mom who yeah. slams the door in your face. Well, I, I think, and so, you know, I, I don't, that's the million dollar question, right? I don't either. But yeah, I don't either. I think perhaps the more we can just, uh, so say, you know, with, with, with the warning label on the gas pump, the more you're able to just in maybe a subtle, gentle way, um, expose people to this thing. So then that could be a way of building that sense of empathy. And, you know, that, that parent that's busy and has, you know, 20 different things on their plate. So this might not be the issue that they tend to just because they're just not able to, and that's fine. Um, but I think if, at least at some level, we feel that much more connected to this problem, we feel that much more of a need to address it. So when the issue does come up, uh, say even if it's an election, and if you have someone that's not interested in climate change at all and is saying, well, we don't, we don't want to pay for public transit and so on, well, this is now an opportunity for the person to say, yeah, I've been concerned about this thing, and this is now my opportunity to, to exercise my opinion on this thing. And there's this other politician that says, well, I'm actually quite concerned about climate change. And, you know, I think that person will represent my voice better. So I think, you know, the ask potentially can be quite small. Mm -hmm. um, and again, going back to what I was saying before, where it's tricky right now to to create, to, to sort of incentivize people to make that individual behavioral change. But I think, again, if you can create sort of more broad dissatisfaction with the status quo solution, um, that almost is the end game. Like, let's just get people just a little frustrated, a little uncomfortable, and then business and governments will respond. And for that auto company that refuses to adapt, but continues to make the same thing they've always been making, there's going to be a new market entrant. There's going to be Tesla, whose model, you know, they're, they're trying to get uh, their cars cheaper and cheaper with mm -hmm. every new, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, version that they come out with. Eventually, it's going to be comparable in price. Um, and then all of a sudden, Hey, finally, here's a solution, and you're going to see this huge shift. I, I was, uh, I, I do, I'm an electrician uh, by mm. trade. I, I don't sort of, I'm not on the tools, but I still work uh, for family and friends. I was mm -hmm. at friends yesterday helping them out with something, and and uh, two two things about that. One, I'm in the attic and breathing in that that pink insulation fiberglass, mm. which I'm sure one day we'll find out causes some sort of oh, God. crazy disease, yeah, like asbestos did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. 
Uh, and I'm breathing that in and I'm thinking, okay, nobody would put up with this. So yes. once we've destroyed the planet enough that we're breathing this kind of air, maybe then we'll start thinking yeah. differently. So that's one thought yeah. uh, coming out of this. And then the other one is he's got this massive plug in his garage. Mm -hmm. We're looking for something electrically. And I make some comment, oh yeah, the guy had a, a, a shop in the garage. Okay. But I'm thinking about buying an electric car. So I'm going to leave that there because I'm pretty sure I'm going to need that in the near future. Isn't that interesting? A, never heard anybody say that before. Wow. I mean, it's just, you go, okay, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been a part of the conversation 20 years yes. ago. Nobody would have yes. been saying that in the West. Yeah. So hmm. you got to, on some level, celebrate that and say, okay, maybe those warning labels on the gas pumps and on the cigarette packs, that kind of incremental change is actually making totally, difference. Totally, totally. And, and to that, I mean, it's the classic, the straw that, that broke the camel's right, back. So right. every little thing just nudges us that much more yep. in the right yep. direction. We're back to sort of the conversation, right? Shaping the questions people are asking, shaping the dinner conversation that you might have with your kids yes. or your friends that you're inviting over because you're drinking organic wine. Well, isn't this wonderful or isn't this odd, yeah. right? It's amazing. And even how you're saying, you know, Lord knows what you're inhaling when you're up in that attic, right? I just, yeah, and it's awful. And I mean, I've been hacking it up for the last 18 hours, right? Yeah. Since yesterday, and you go, geez, what? Well, know? this is, you know... And then I think, of course, I'm a film nut, so I go to movies like Blade Runner, right? The dystopic, <laughs> oh God, where yes. we're heading, right? Well, yeah. it's... Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think of... I, I remember being a kid, actually, and I was reading this uh, dystopic sort of a sci-fi novel right. where the air was such that it was so polluted, people are, are having to wear masks to breathe. Right. That's what made me think of it, yeah, the mask you know? guy. Yeah. yeah, and then, uh, so I go home, this is, I don't know what grade I'm in, grade four or something, school bus takes me home, uh, I flick on or my grandmother's watching the Weather Channel, the Weather Network or something, and there's an advisory there that says, you know, don't have your kids go out and play between these right. hours. Don't exert yourself. There's a smog advisor, right? Right, right. right. And here I am reading the sci-fi book saying, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. No, this isn't cool at all. Yeah, but I think, yeah. again, going back to what I'm suggesting some of our challenges are, it's inertia, it's it's habit. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is now normal. But to think about it, so where I live in downtown Toronto, I step on the sidewalk and not six feet from my from my face, from my nose, car after car after car with their tailpipe sure. pointing this exhaust sure. at me sure. and I'm breathing it in. Yeah. It's going into my lungs. It's being circulated through my blood. Uh, car exhaust alone. So forget about climate change. Uh, it's been linked to leukemia, cardiovascular disease, you know, asthma, sure. all sorts of things. And to objectively look at this, you'd say, well, no, this, this is not acceptable. We can do better, but it's become so normalized. We don't, we don't question it. Right. So part of the idea again is just I think, as you said, too, the sense of complacency. Mm -hmm. If you can shake people out of the sense of complacency, there's a, you know, the, the quote, of course, is, if you build it, they will come. And people often tell me, we just need better options and then they'll come. My thing is, we have to first almost want people to have it, then we build it, then it will come. Because as long as downstream markets are complacent, why would an auto company spend money to retool their plant, to, to come up, you know... Um, I think it's critical at first you almost stimulate demand for that solution, then politicians will have that political license. So for me, the mm. whole notion of environmentalism mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. goes back to your, your, your comment about Adam Smith and the theories of moral sentiments because, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know Adam Smith that well. I certainly read uh, him over the years and I have a friend who jokes about him with me all the time. Mm -hmm. but, but it kind of presupposes yeah. a, a center, uh -huh. a foundation, a moral 
a moral fiber of a sort that says, I care enough to care about my neighbors even though my fence is eight feet high. Yes. I can still get a ladder. It's going to cause me some energy. I'm going to have to exert, go to the garage, get the ladder, step up, and look into their backyard. That's work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We don't want to do that necessarily, but I think this idea of being an environmentalist or being a neighborist, there's another word. Um, yeah. You know, and we're all neighbors, aren't we? We, we are. Yeah. In, in, in one way or another, global yes. or local, right? Yeah. To do that, though, I think presupposes some kind of foundation, right? So the so what I want to get mm. to, Robert, is I want to get to where the mining executive, the mm-hmm, barracks, mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. and the and the and the Suncors mm. and so on of the world are saying, sitting around a boardroom table. Okay, yes, we got to make lots of money. Of mm-hmm, course, that's mm-hmm, what we're here mm-hmm. for. We're going to change the world. We're going to create wealth. But for the love, can we try to do it in the most sensitive yes. way possible? And when I mean sensitive, I don't mean emotionally. I mean can we not be a little more careful? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, come on, really? Is it really that hard? You know what? You know, so you're going to make 1.2 billion this year instead of 1.3. Really? Yeah. Like, you know? Just... Well, let's, I mean, even even if your beginning point, which I think is quite sensible, you know, do no harm, right? Yeah. So yes, let's create value. Let's make wealth. Let's live comfortably. Let's all, yep. you know, yep. um, let's have profit, but within certain constraints. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's where, it, quite frankly, government steps in to create. They're kind of, they're setting the rules. They're the, they're yep. the referee. Yep. Uh, maybe this the is courts. where taxes come into play. Yeah, you know. Boundaries, and then, rules. Yeah. And let's have private enterprise operate within those boundaries, within those constraints to pursue profit. Um, but it's this piece, you know, it's the do no harm piece within yeah. certain yeah. constraints. So yeah. it's not like, I mean, I foresee and I really hope that uh, fossil fuel companies begin to see and understand themselves as energy companies and fossil fuels are actually just one particular method of delivering that energy. And if they can conceptualize of themselves in that way, I think it's that much easier then to transition to, well, let's invest in renewable energy. Let's develop that. And quite frankly, if they don't, mind you, you know, uh, it's something like 80% of energy right now does come from fossil fuels globally. Um, but eventually as this transition happens, if, if their culture, if their history, if their hard assets is all on extracting stuff from the earth so we can burn it they're not going to make that transition right and there's going to be people out of work so if we can you know and and that's no one wants to see that right, right. but i think if right. we can and again the connection maybe to the label uh could potentially be to the extent that we 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 deny climate change and we sort of avoid the the inevitable and the ipcc the intergovernmental panel on climate change even mark carney recently former governor of the bank of canada has said if we're to uh, you know, not totally disrupt our climate, if we're to abide by um, this sort of two degree centigrade figure uh, that countries all over the world have agreed to care of this UN um, convention, if we're to do that, we're going to have to leave the vast majority of fossil fuels underground. So if you realize that's where we're headed, if you realize people in China, a market of 1.3 billion, uh, are looking for clean energy solutions, they don't want to breathe, you know, dirty, dirty air, they're not interested in climate change, there's a tremendous market opportunity to investing in those solutions oh, to- today. There, there, there yeah. totally is. I mean, I look at a country like Cambodia. One of the things that irritates me uh, to no end is that the Canadian government has kind of pulled away. They're no longer a priority country, mm. uh, embassy closed, et cetera. One of the things I want to do in the future is advocate on behalf of business in Cambodia. And why isn't Canada there? Because mm. you're right. There's this massive opportunity. Yeah. I don't think we can say the global south is just going to start burning more fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. That's too easy. Mm-hmm. I think maybe if there's some sort of incentive, if there's a little more creativity involved, mm-hmm. there could be this massive 
wealth-creating opportunity in some of these yes. countries to say, you know what, we're not going to go the easier route. We're going to actually come up with a solar response or whatever the case might be. And, yeah. I, and I know to the this harsh economist right now, I'm sounding like some crazy, flaky idealist. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But for crying out loud, you are the market after all. I'm going to toss your argument back at you and yeah. say, think better. You know, totally. Think, you know, dig a little deeper for heaven's sake, yeah. but leave the fossil fuel in the ground. Well, I mean, do do you pour in? Do you invest in a model that is old and I think doesn't have a future? You can't reconcile addressing climate change and developing all of your fossil. Those two don't fit, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you accept that reality yeah. and and part yeah. of this sig- the signal, really, I think of the warning that was a market signal. If you're like, okay, so this is this is reality. How then do we adapt? How then do we adjust? You'll then see, I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if if Canada uh, were to actually develop some of the technologies that mm-hmm. the world is then mm-hmm. thirsty for? We're now, just by, by care of this foresight, exporting the stuff years down the road and benefiting. You know, we, we're having better jobs, yep. our economy is strong and so on. Uh, it's just a matter of really... Well, look at, look yeah. at mobile phones. Mm. So, yeah. so the whole... the, the um, the lack of the need for infrastructure mm. or a certain kind of infrastructure mm-hmm. in many, many uh, um, um, countries in the majority world. So you've, you don't need that uh, cabling. You don't need that under, yeah. underground cabling or overground cabling in a country like Laos or Cambodia because everybody's got a cell phone because we've got They've satellites. They've leapt over that They've whole... They've totally leapt yeah. over it. So how can you apply that to environmental issues, yeah. et cetera, right? And, and I think it's across the board. It's development. But again, for mm. me, I go, hang on, this presupposes a moral sentiment that says do no harm. Kind yes. of borrow some phrases that yes. you've been using. Um, great conversation. I'm loving our conversation today, <laughs> by the way. So you're a lawyer. Yeah. Don't lawyers just care about creating wealth? Aren't they just like free marketers? Like sure. How that? What happened to you along the way? Yeah, what happened to me? <laughs> um, well, well, I, I, watched, I watched The Good Wife. <laughs> well, now I feel like I need to watch The Good Wife to get yeah, that reference. Yes, yes, so that's yeah, another thing yes, we're adding to the yeah, to-do list. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I do think, you know, and obviously I'm just teasing, but yes, there's a huge wealth opportunity here if we actually do transition to renewables. And I love the, the Gretzky quote, which is totally overused. You know, don't skate to where the puck has been, skate to where it's going to go. Right. So that's yeah. how we need to think. But so how did I get into this? Um, so I used to practice, I'm still a lawyer, though I'm no longer uh, practicing. I'm sort of effectively in-house counsel for this not-for-profit, Our Horizon, uh, that I incorporated about two years ago. Uh, and I found myself, uh, so I used to work for a municipality as the uh, assistant city solicitor and prosecutor. Um, I opened up my own practice then in Toronto for a period. And I wasn't happy with the work that I was, it was fine and it was interesting, mm-hmm. but there was this this lack of meaning to it, yeah, you know? yeah. And for the longest time, I would watch inaction, you know, in, in communities across Canada, Canada federally, the world really, on climate change and just watch from the sidelines with concern. Um, and I had a few ideas uh, that I actually wanted to run on municipally uh, in Toronto, where I'm from, on sort of like a, a climate change friendly type platform. But I had to back burner that just because running your own practice is busy. Uh, and so I find myself with a lot of these ideas you know, on, on maybe we can do X, Y, and Z to address climate. This warning label campaign is one of them. Uh, it's been backburnered. I'm at work. I'm not that happy. And I was having a, a conversation uh, with my grandfather. This was in the summer of 2012. Um, and the way the conversation ended, I think he sensed that we would spend, I would spend every summer on his farm in Saskatchewan and he sort of, he knows that I'm concerned about these issues. 
And uh, so we're having this conversation. He's sensing that I'm unhappy with, with work and sensing that I want to pursue other things. And his last words to me on that phone call were, well, you have to enjoy what you're doing, Rob. Do what you love. And it was around that mm. moment mm. where a client was coming in. Was your grandfather? My grandfather, nice. yeah. Uh, a farmer in Saskatchewan, 95 at the time. And uh, so I, I said, thank you. You know, I've got a client coming in and I'll talk to you again soon. So, you know, he was, he was in, in okay health, but he's 95, right? So he actually passed away uh, two mm. weeks after. Wow. Yeah. And that lingered. His last words to of me, course did, you yeah. know, do what you love. And here's someone that I really, you know, looked up to and, and admire. Um, it's a great story. Yeah. So that's got to be in the introduction of your first book. <laughs> when I get to it. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, that's an awesome story. That's well, really cool. So it gets it gets well, and good for him for a saying it, b that you guys had the relationship where he felt that he could, and that at a ninety five he's thinking that way. You know, right? he and he's an amazing person. He actually so he had a big swath of farmland. He donated a chunk of it to Ducks Unlimited. It's now a like a preserve for hmm. for animals and so on. But um, but so, so there's an environmental ethic in your family. Clearly. I think there is. Clearly. I think there is. Yeah. 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 Because um, I was going to say, like, this is wonderful, but where did it come from? Yeah. Like, why don't you care about, I don't know, homelessness in Toronto over the, you know? Yeah. Or maybe you do. And I do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so uh, so the story then, it, I think there's actually another piece that is that much more, and hopefully is a bit more universal. Yeah. Um, so I then, two weeks go by, excuse me, two, two months go by. And, and so there I am at my desk at my former law firm. And I get this this envelope in the mail, uh, and it's from my uncle, who's a lawyer in Saskatchewan. I just thought it was some correspondence. But I open it up, and I pull out uh, what's a check from my grandfather's estate. I, mm. I'm, oh, my goodness, this is from my grandfather. Mm. And it was a small sum, um, but I, I remember looking at it. As I'm pulling it out of the envelope, I hear his voice in my head from about two months prior, do what you love. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, this buys me two to three months of I don't have to worry about paying bills. I could go on a holiday. I could do, you know, what do I love? And I think in that moment, I recognized, no, this this is an opportunity. Um, so, so it was actually that day I decided to pick one of these ideas. So I actually have a few other campaigns that I want to run that I think are, are also as interesting. But I just decided, well, let's pick one idea up off the back burner. Let's go explore the legal research. Let's, you know, can a municipality do this? Is there enough precedent to support this? Does it conflict with anything federally or provincially mm-hmm. and so on? So I'm trying to figure this out and I'm saying, oh, this this could actually work. A city might be able to do this. Um, and I've produced a, a 40-page legal report on our website that mm-hmm. a counselor can, can download if they like uh, that explores that question. And then I'm getting into the psychology of it, the interesting right, economic right. theory. And I reach this point where I'm like, what, but what do I do with this? It was very organic. Uh, the The organization that I then incorporated was more of a, well, I need some sort of a vehicle right. through which I can right. advocate for right. this. Um, so fast forward and, and here we are. But I think the most interesting point, and this is the piece that hopefully might be a little more universally um, understood, is I remember being, so so maybe a week after he passed away, I was in Saskatchewan, and I'm, I'm at the cemetery where he's buried and so here's this fresh um pile of dirt mm-hmm. the tombstone isn't there yet mm-hmm. right and next to him is my, is my father who he had passed away a few years prior uh and so i'm looking at this fresh patch of dirt um and these things do what you love are sort of going through mm-hmm. my head yeah sure there's my father right beside him and beside my dad 
is an empty patch of green grass, mm. right? And so some people, I've talked to people that have had this, this um, you know, a similar moment mm -hmm. where you almost appreciate, you appreciate your sense of mortality and you start to ask the bigger questions, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, that would be a cradle to grave moment. That would yeah. be, right? Yeah. And, and so, well, okay, my time here is limited. It's true. And all of our, yeah. it's, it's yeah. limited for all of us. Yeah. So what am I going to yeah, do? No, what? what do I value? What good. do I, you know? And so that's kind of the genesis of this. And I recognize too, a lot of my friends are having kids, two-year-olds, three-year-olds yep. and so on. Yep. And it truly is the decisions that, that we make today that will shape their future. So many people believe in micro... Uh, sorry, macro change, and, and mm. I'm, a, I'm an incrementalist, mm -hmm. so I'm all about the little things, and, and you got to do them, and they, they build, and it's tipping point stuff, and so on. It's foundational, though, at the same time, but I think any macro change has got to be a series of smaller decisions and choices yeah. along the way, so, but, you know, what's amazing, about, that story's wonderful, by the way, mm. but what's amazing to me is that uh, it affected you the way that it did, because I bet you there have been many people who have been in a situation similar, mm -hmm. different parents grandparents different things were said different moments but it didn't affect them in the same way mm -hmm. it didn't impact and we're back to the maybe the empathy again mm -hmm. you know the timing was right for you you know the single mom at the door maybe on yeah. another day maybe on another day you know she would have been open to a conversation it's with you true. at the door right so it's about timing to some degree i think oh yeah a, you know guys like us well anyone that's trying to shift the conversation Timing's pretty key. It right? is, and I think we sometimes us in the sort yeah. of nonprofit want to change the world worldview have trouble realizing that, and so we get up on a mountaintop and we shout and we point fingers and we just alienate yeah. people. Oh, it's the way, a, yeah, right? yeah. I don't get that sense from you at all. By the way, you're yeah. you're really normal. <laughs> right? Thank you. Yeah. Hooray, yeah. normal. So, yeah. Well, what I love too is you are the metaphor for collaboration. Yeah. You're this, you know. Uh, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna make a lawyer joke. Oh, go but for it! But you're this, you know, this lawyer. You're making lots of coin. You got this corporate edge. You're wearing your suit, your clients, and so on. But you've clearly got this moral sentiment. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Um, that says uh, we got to change the world, and now you're bringing the two together. You're what Julia Molden would call a new radical. Interesting. Somebody who's gotten to a point in their life where, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah. And okay, there's meaning in that, and sure. it's important, and I help people as a lawyer and so on. But I just want to take it up a notch, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, I'm just not as satisfied as I used to be. And I, and I, I hope that the millennials and, and the younger generations of the mm -hmm. world are, are moving more in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's not about lack of commitment. It's about mm -hmm. a sense of purpose, right? Yeah. And that's what I it think, comes down to hope, for so anyway. much. Yeah. Uh, for so, yeah, it's, it's purpose and it's asking the bigger questions. It is. What do I value? Totally. What am I doing with my time? And as you put it, timing, right? So for me, it was a confluence of factors. It's, there's, um, you know, a message from someone who I really love and admire and look up to. There's this opportunity of who gets that? Who gets? It was it was uh, seven thousand five hundred dollars. So mm. not a huge sum, but that so, buys me time. Of course it does. And who gets? Who gets? Two three months to explore it's something. True. It's not it's a, you know. Uh, I love the fact that you looked at it as an opportunity and that it was a gift. And, yeah. And, well, what I also love too is it sounds to me like you took somebody else's grace and generosity and have turned it into your own understanding mm -hmm. of what that grace and generosity might look for, like for you um, globally and municipally, yeah. right? 
The glominess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try to spell that. I might we'll work on that. Yeah, and, and I might put that in the blurb too when I introduce it. We yes. coined this new word. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. heaven knows that, you know, if anyone makes any money off it someday, we need to. It'll trade, be, we need to yeah. trademark that. Yeah. That's Can our new word. on 50 50, though? Well, 50 50. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, listen, we got to wrap up here real soon. What, what can, so, so love your passion, love mm. where you're trying to go with all this. What's next? Uh, not for you necessarily, but what do you, what do you, what's, what's really pressing? So yeah. climate change is so big, mm. right? It's mm-hmm, so ridiculously mm-hmm. huge. Uh, you're all about incrementalism. Yes. What, what, what am I doing about it? What can I do about it? Well, so oh, tell me about, about maybe just a little bit more about our horizon and yeah. how people can get involved. So people can, so the website is just, uh, our horizon.org. Um, uh, people can get involved. So the best, so I'm actually working on, it's a really interesting, uh, space, the not-for-profit sector. So the nature of the advocacy that I'm doing, uh, would constitute, you know, what the CRA deems to be political purposes. So I'm, I'm advocating for legislative reform and I'm, I'm telling people they should approach, uh, their, their municipal government uh-huh. to do that. Right, right. So I don't qualify for charitable status. That then means, though, that all the foundations in Canada that look for that charitable status to get that tax receipt, I don't get access to that pool right, of funds. Right, right. Um, governments were still a little too, ooh, we're, we're questioning fossil fuels. You know, is this safe politically? Can we right, support? Sure, yeah. So, so my challenge right now mostly relates to capacity. I'm spread thin. Um, and that is sort of then informed by just a lack of funds, right? Sure, yeah. So yeah. what I'm hoping to do, if, if anyone wants to donate, we have a donate button on our website, you know, $10, $20, it actually helps. Um, but what I'm putting together is a larger, I'm calling it a prospectus, where uh, I'm hopefully it'll be out by the end uh, of, of December. I'm trying to beat that deadline. But what I'm asking then people to do is to say, hey, Look at this thing. It's sort of the pitch. It's the game plan. If I can have someone uh, working for me full-time in BC, if I could have someone working for me full-time in Quebec on the East Coast, uh, and then I'm just empowering people, and they then are on the ground are empowering others to bring this forward in their own community. Because the model is, and this is what another thing I like about it, is I actually don't want to go city to city to make the pitch. I can be there, and I'd love to answer questions from staff and counselors, and I can do longer hour-long talks to sort of really share the info. But I remember being a teenager and being frustrated about this issue, about other environmental issues. And, well, what do I do? What do I? And so I'm trying to tell youth, hey, municipal government is so approachable. And even if you're 16, even if you're not old enough to vote, you can actually ask to get an item on an agenda and you can speak to it for 10 minutes. You could pitch this. So what I need. Yeah, it's good. Great advice. And what I need to do then is to have greater capacity to to talk with youth across the country, talk with counselors to answer their questions, um, and so on. So uh, uh, for anyone who's interested in supporting, the best way is, as soon as this document is out, if you know any uh, philanthropist, if you know people that are concerned about climate change and might be well-connected, take this document and just forward it to them and say, this is interesting, have a peek at this. Um, And I like to think too, you know, in terms of a, a marginal return on a dollar invested, if I hire just one person, we've doubled the organizational capacity, right, right, you know? Right, so a, right. a dollar here has sure, a lot of value. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. So that would be the big, the biggest ask. Otherwise, just approach their counselors and say, hey, this is something yeah. interesting. 
listen to the podcast. Yeah. Maybe maybe we might want to do this. I remember this. having a coffee with Jeff Knoll uh, locally. Uh, he's the counselor in our mm-hmm. ward. And he said, you see that curb over there? Mm-hmm. I was responsible for that. And if you want to get involved, this is where you do it. Totally. Municipal politics. You get to see what's happening. You see the need immediately. Yeah. And not, not that we don't want to be involved globally and so on, but it's a, it's a great way to do it. Robert Shirky, our guest today, the executive director of our Horizon Think Global Act Municipal. Check him out online. Uh, he's got a TED Talk. There's a petition to sign. There's a legal report. Might might be able to book him to come to your uh, high school. I would love uh, to do that. That would be yeah. awesome. Uh, so check out our Horizon. There's a donate button. I think the word is Globa Municipalism. Yes, that's where it's that's at. That's one of them. <laughs> that is the future, man. Every time someone says that, get you owe us what? On, a dollar? That's right. Every time, yeah. Get on board, <laughs> damn it, is our uh, new bumper sticker. Awesome. So, thanks for joining <laughs> us today, Robert. Thanks for having me.